0: Hello. this is Emily Austin in the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. Welcome to Faithful Memphis. This is our weekly hour um, here on WIFSR in Memphis and on our Faithfully Memphis podcast where we get to talk to interesting people and get inspired by the work that they're doing in the world. Um, I am delighted today to have on a good friend a good person for anybody to know, uh, Marvin Stockwell. Hey, Marvin. Good
1: morning, Emily. How hey, are you?
0: I'm doing really good. You know, Fantastic. normally, normally, as the minister of communication for the Diocese of West Tennessee, I am behind the panel yeah. uh, every week for Faithfully Memphis. But today, I'm behind the microphone. But I was awesome. just uh, telling you right before we started everything I ever learned about uh media and you know putting on a smile for the people I learned from Marvin that's right
1: um our 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 third well not I was there 13 years but just our years at church health were really really formative and and such a such a pleasure to be back talking with you this morning
0: yeah so a little background um I work, I split my time now uh, between Church of the Holy Communion um, in Memphis and the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee, where I support um, Bishop Phoebe and the diocese in the communication role. But uh, before I uh, settled into my uh, current jobs. I was at Church Health for many, many years, yeah. and Marvin was the person who uh, I remember a Zoom call many years ago. Uh, yeah. I was living in North Carolina at the time, and uh, uh-huh. y'all, you and our good friend Jeff Hewlett, took a chance on this rando girl in North Carolina, and, and
1: you were a godsend. I well, mean, that was that the way that team came together at Church Health, and the way you came in and took over. Our social media was, it was was incredible. It was definitely a grace to transit.
0: Well, that, you know, I think that communications and being able to serve a higher purpose and good grief, you know, church health, if you're talking about a higher purpose right now, uh, you know, over the last 18 months, but certainly over the last, you know, 30 years that church health has been operating in uh, Memphis, uh, talk about vocational work. um, I certainly... kind of rooted out what it was that I wanted to do uh, with my life and my career um, from working there and now working um, for the church. And that's kind of a good, you know, I love a good seg. I love a good seg. Um, Today we're we're, um, celebrating – Uh, Florence Nightingale in our um, Episcopal Cycle of Prayer. Today is the feast day of Florence Nightingale, and so I am delighted to talk a little bit about Florence, who we, I think everybody knows a little bit about (laughs) Florence Nightingale. Like, what's the first thing that pops into your head, Marvin?
1: Uh, Nursing.
0: Yeah, nursing. She, Crimean War, maybe something about the Red Cross, but... yeah, when I looked at our uh, liturgical calendar for the Episcopal Church, I was kind of taken aback when I when Florence's name popped up. But when I started you know yeah. digging into her a little bit, I was I'm I mean she's sort of my new hero. Um, Florence Nightingale was born or. She was born on May 12, 1820, during the Victorian era, and she died um, on August 13, 1910, and she was a British social reformer, statistician, and the founder of Modern Nursing, um, and she came to prominence serving as manager and training of nurses during the Crimean War, and Throughout her life, she gave nursing a favorable reputation. Um, When I was, what's wild to me, considering how much we love nurses and know how much they carry our healthcare system here in the United States and abroad, we know that now. But during the time in which um, Florence Nightingale was prominent, uh, being a nurse was kind of a throwaway uh, career,
1: Really, it, before the modern era of yeah. professional,
0: it, it was. Yeah. I mean, it it was a throwaway job, and she grew up in a family where you know they her parents wanted to, even though her parents educated her and she was mm. very very capable from an early age. She, um, they wanted to marry her off, and when she said no, my calling is to care for people. They recoiled. They were not on yeah. board with that at all. But she was like, nope um I, this is what my calling is and so in 1860 she laid the foundation of professional professional nursing with the establishment of her nursing school at St. Thomas's Hospital in London um, and she's also uh, you know I, I think we both know she's really known for her um, contribution to modern nursing and that cannot be understated yeah but as a communicator and someone who knows the power of information, I, I am so taken with how she engaged with the public. Um, she was a prodigious writer, just she, thousands and thousands of letters and books over the years and some of her tracks that she wrote during her lifetime advocating for public health policy um, were actually um, written she wrote them in simple english so that they could easily be understood by those with poor literary skills she really felt that it was important for everybody yeah
1: yeah i was just going to say um we both I'm, I'm catholic and and so um it's amazing how many saints are kind of like in the canon of 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 these towering figures yeah. that are in history um I, I like to read the the lives of the saints and really it's it's um it's less uh, in and modern saints D- dorothy day and the, yeah, the catholic worker yeah, movement absolutely. it's uh it's a matter of um they're not uh I think it's more. You read them in the, the miracles are in there, but yeah. I think what's what's almost as interesting, if not more, are the everyday stories of how yeah. they moved through the blocking and tackling, found their vocation, and then captured that in 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 writing that we can all appreciate. Yeah. Because it's like it it connects me to people who lived at at different times, such that um, you know, it's it. They're that the, the, we have a, we share a, a common. Uh, human nature yeah, and they had struggles just like we did.
0: They were people just like us. Okay do you want me to hit you with a most charming anecdote that you're going to hear today? Yeah hit me with it. Okay so I did not know this until I was doing my research on um, uh, Saint Florence even you know she's not a canonical (laughs) saint but I'm going to call her Saint Florence. I love it. Okay so she was an extremely well-traveled person um, throughout her entire life and when she was a young woman, um, she spent some times in Athens, Greece. And during that time, she rescued a little owl um, from some kids who were just tormenting it and not being Mm -hmm. kind to it. So she rescued this little owl and she named the owl Athena. Uh, I mean, I can only imagine that she named it after the place where she found it, which was Athens. And after that, she carried the little owl in her pocket um, for the rest of her life and and she did and uh, like for the rest of the um, owl's life and i'm just like oh my gosh like how you know and i think about uh, you know the modern practices of nursing i have no yeah. idea if she carried her owl with her to the crimea but you know we think about how in modern healthcare care we know that animals really make a difference and yeah. they can be used in patient care and I I don't know there's something about that I want to believe that
1: therapy dogs yeah I yeah. want to
0: believe that uh she saw her little owl as a therapy owl wow but, uh, yeah I, I but she's just like you and me you know I'm obsessed with my rabbits and yeah and uh I think that I would have them here in the studio with me if I could right now but I love it but so she was just a really amazing person um and of course she's mostly known for her work during the Crimean War Um, which was a war that was fought during the Victorian era. Um, And when she and her team of um, fellow nurses were called in, they were pretty much, they were, I mean, they were the ladies in the room. And uh, the folks in authority um, really wouldn't have much to do with them until they (laughs) until the the situation got really dire and -hmm. they realized okay well we we need to have uh we need to be taken care of by these women um her team sorry I I feel like
1: I should apologize on behalf of no 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 no,
0: no. I mean I think we all know that you're one of the good ones but you know it's sometimes when you walk in the room you, you you're gonna get uh written off right away yeah Um, Her team found that the poor care for wounded soldiers was being delivered by overworked medical staff in the face of official indifference, and medicines were in short supply, hygiene was being neglected, and mass infections were common, and most of them were fatal. Um, There was no equipment to process food for the patients, and yet these women embraced in her solitude the sick of three armies. Um, during her first winter in uh, the in the Crimea, four, over four thousand soldiers died, and ten times more soldiers died from illness, such as typhus, typhoid, cholera, dysentery, than from battle wounds. From the, wow. those are just diseases. That yeah. the place was filthy, and with overcrowding, defective sewers, and lack of ventilation, the sanitary commission had to be sent out by the British government to. Um, Scutari in March 1855 almost six months after Nightingale arrived Um, and yet she she raised her voice she said that the death rates were due to poor nutrition lack of supplies stale air and Uh overworking of the soldiers like she she was pretty insistent that we can do something about this yeah. Um, and so after she returned to Britain and began collecting evidence before the Royal Commission on the Health of the Army, she came to believe that most of the soldiers at the hospital were killed by poor living conditions. And this is the part where I, as a person who I have an active presence, it's my job to get the word out and to yeah. show that injustice is happening, things that we can turn back from them are happening. She created, and you can Google this image, she basically created the first modern effective infographic. Um, She created an image um, to show that uh, these death rates were just, it was all due to Mm -hmm. um, poor conditions that could actually be reversed and that's, that was the linchpin. Um, she got people to take notice um, by creating what's known as the, let me find it in my notes, uh, the rose histogram. Um, and if you look at it, you know, it's readily available on Wikipedia and on um, you know, Google image, search it. Um, if you look at it, it's the kind of, uh, graphic that you would see in, um, on social media or today. And it can really, really, um, change minds. Um, so I, I'm just, you know, I think about that and the fact that she was so committed to writing in a way that people, uh, the, the average person could listen. That's a gift. Yeah. She made a difference in a major, major way. Um she's described Incredible. as a true pioneer in the graphical re- representation of statistics and is credited with developing a form of the pie chart now known as the polar area diagram or occasionally the nightingale rose diagram. Um so you know we're we're talking she did a lot of really great things but you know I think that in order to get you know a, a day of the church named after you you have to have you know some striking uh, thoughts on God and the way that God works in the world? So a little bit about her theology. Um, she was she remained in the Church of England throughout her life, and she viewed her um, calling to nursing as a call from God. But um, she had some unorthodox for the time views. I mean, maybe they're unorthodox for our time. I don't know. I, I think they're pretty great, mm-hmm. but. She um, was influenced from an early age by the Wesleyan tradition, um, and she felt that genuine, genuine religion should manifest in active care and love for others. Uh, she was a believer in universal reconciliation, and she believed that, and this is a quote from her, the real God is far more merciful than any human creature ever was or ever can imagine. Um, and despite her intense personal devotion to um, the Christian church, she believed that for much of uh, her life that the pagan and Eastern religions had also contained genuine revelation. She was a strong opponent of discrimination, both against Christians for different de- of different denominations and against those of non-Christian religions. So, you know. Good for her. God is.
1: We need more of that tolerance uh, in yeah, today's world, for sure.
0: We do. So. Yeah. You know, um, I, I just, I, I, I was really, it was a blessing to me that yeah. it so happened that I get to host Faithfully Memphis and do this research on Florence Nightingale. And, and I uh, encourage everyone to get to know a little bit more about her because she is certainly more than the, you know, top three bullet points that we tend to all know about her. Wow. Um, so this is our prayer Um, in honor of the Feast of Florence Nightingale. O God, who gave grace to your servant Florence Nightingale to bear your healing love into the shadow of death, grant to all who heal the same virtues of patience, mercy, and steadfast love that your saving health may be revealed to all through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, Amen. Amen. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in to Faithfully Memphis on WYXR or the Faithfully Memphis podcast. Um, again, I am delighted to have a good friend um, and someone who I've who has been a uh, real. Just inspiration and mentor for me over the years on the show today, Marvin Stockwell. Thank you,
1: Emily. That's kind of you to say that. Well, I'm glad to be here.
0: It is. It is all. Uh, it, yeah. There's there's a lot of uh, you know. If I was going to tell <laughs> the history of my life, I think that you would get a, a line in there. Somewhere. Okay.
1: Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm honored.
0: I'm I'm so delighted to have you on, Marvin. So just start. Let's start at the very beginning mm-hmm. of the Marvin story.
1: Sure. So um, I grew up. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, I grew up in, in Memphis. I'm a native Memphian, and I uh, grew up uh, as a Catholic, going to Saint Michael uh, Catholic Church on Summer. And um, I was I, I was an altar boy, um, <clears throat> and I came up at a time uh, in the in the '70s, which was really the kind of like folk mass period, if you will. So it was in that time. Uh, immediately following uh, the Church's Second Vatican Council, uh, which really ushered in mo- modern reforms, the, the Mass in the in the vernacular language before that had been in Latin. Mm-hmm. When when the when the Catholic Mass was 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 brought into the modern day, the Church's responsibility uh, to to act in like uh, in the world yeah, uh, was yeah. also mapped out in the, in the the uh, the Second Vatican Council. It's funny, yeah. my mom. Uh, and my grandparents were actually at the opening ceremonies at, of Vatican II wow. uh, in wow. Rome, and I've, I've I've seen pictures of that. So that's kind of my grounding. And if if uh, in, in the seventies, you know, um, being a, when I went to mass, you had priests who had been steeped in the uh, the old uh, way of doing the mass in Latin, and they were having to adjust and learn how to say mass uh, in English. And it was very, it was very jarring. Uh, but I didn't know that as as a a kid going to St. Michael, I just realized that, I mean, that I was, I'm a post Vatican II kid, um, that grew up at at St. Michael, went to, um, CBHS and Mm -hmm. then the university of Memphis. Uh, and then I, I, I toured for years uh, in, in 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 Pez, the, the touring band, uh, before. Yeah,
0: you're kind of a big deal. You're kind well, of a rock star. Well,
1: you're you're kind, but uh, y- years of, uh, of of touring uh, prepared me well uh, for a, a brief stint in journalism and on public radio mm. uh, before I segued into uh, landing at, at Church Health in 2004 yeah. uh, as their communications guy, and then. Along the road to uh, my 13 years there, I built uh, I built a team of of, of of folks. You were a part of that. Yeah, it's it was an
0: amazing group of people.
1: It was an incredible time in my life, and, and uh, it was it was the opportunity, quite frankly, for me to, in a really direct uh, way. Live the gospel because, like, you know, uh, right there in the gospels is, is, is caring for the sick. And so uh, I wasn't, I, I'm not a medical professional, but I used my skills as a communicator uh, to build the messages that got yeah. church health's word out yeah. to serve people and, and, and to raise money. Um, uh, at, for the last four years, I've been at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital yeah, yeah. Uh, as their media relations director. Uh, I left there at the end of May Mm -hmm. and it was, it it was, and and what I've been doing, we can get into this in a second, is really an effort to, um, to, to bring a project off the back burner that I've been working on the last couple of years, which is, um, champions of the lost causes.
0: Yes. I got
1: with, with my work on the Coliseum and the fairgrounds, which we can touch on in a minute. I. I got I got really curious about mm. why people uh, champion causes yeah, uh, yeah. and what motivates them, what sustains them, and what helps them succeed.
0: What's that origin story?
1: Um, yeah. Well, I just at the at the four years in mark uh, of of working on things to first save uh, and and now working with the city to reopen the Mid South Coliseum. It just—I I got curious as to why I had the fire in the gut yeah. for for four years, um, and now we're at the the the, the seven-year mark. But uh, and then at my time at St. Jude, it's it's not—it it, was—it was—it was really obvious to, to to ruminate on the Danny Thomas origin story. Yeah,
0: yeah. Danny
1: Thomas championed the cause of pediatric cancer, mm-hmm. and the world is glad that he did. And so now it's time. For me to take what um, what I've learned uh, at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital uh, and in the civic side of my life, and really apply it to where uh, I see the greatest need. Yeah, uh, and yeah. that is, and that is, I've worked at the at the the large um, St. Jude, mid mid-sized Church Health. Uh, and small end of the nonprofit spectrum, mm-hmm. uh, founding my own grassroots nonprofits in the Coliseum Coalition mm. and Friends of the Fairgrounds. And I've seen how the different pieces of the publicity toolkit work at all those different levels. But the And
0: you've also seen people you care about benefit from those different outreach projects that you've had. I mean, you also, you helped to found uh, Rock for Love, which was a Uh long running uh, music festival um, at um, benefiting Church 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 Health. And it primarily benefited uh, musicians who are served by uh, Church Health. and
1: Lacking healthcare. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: exactly. And you also live here in Memphis. We, you know, you and I, Both have a lot of peers and friends in common. We know people who have benefited from church health. And we also live and work in the neighborhoods um, around the fairgrounds. And so, and we have memories around those places. And we know that revitalizing this, you Mm -hmm. know, amazing civic place will revitalize our community in important ways. So I, I feel like that is. When when you see so many people that you know being touched by sure. that work, it's it, that's, it, that's really a definitely a strong carrot at the end of the stick. Isn't it's
1: it? it's really been the place and occasion for me to really get to know those stakeholder neighborhoods right around the fairgrounds, mm. uh, and uh, and 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 really meet uh, my neighbors in Orange Mound. I live in Humes Heights, which is over near the the, the fairgrounds. Um, but Cooper Young and just seeing how all that is stitched together uh, over the back cloth of the history of the decisions uh, around the fairgrounds that, that the city of Memphis has, has made uh, uh, based on how things how things played out. Um, so in my war, in my uh, I got really interested in why people champion causes. Mm-hmm. And then I saw other examples of that uh, and. And then it's um, what what I've what I've seen is the the small to grassroots part of the nonprofit spectrum is really where my heart is, mm. and it's really the least well resourced yeah. segment of that of that continuum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So m- the focus of 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 my efforts um, has been uh, in 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 both searching for. Uh, job opportunities working on projects and and bringing champions of the lost causes off the back burner Mm -hmm, has been in encouraging and equipping those frontline civic actors to affect change um doing that by by training them on what they need to know in terms of uh communicating their message back to florence nightingale Mm -hmm, it's it's doing the work but it's also capturing it and telling that that story so that it can it can resonate yeah um so that, that 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 that's a lot of ground to cover, but that's that is uh that's where my focus has been is is on those those civic actors and and what they do and and most recently it, it has been around um, the Coliseum.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know I've uh, I know that there are there's a small but very strong well knit community around that. Uh, the uh, uplifting the Coliseum. Uh Um, And I think that, you know, in just knowing a little bit about uh, the, the intentionality that uh, is placed around what role everyone plays.
1: Yeah. um, It's taught me a lot.
0: Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Um, Working on. uh, So back in the fall of 2014, uh, there was, it came out in the paper, coliseum was going to be demolished uh for making way for a tourism development zone um uh, redo of the fairgrounds and we didn't think that was a good idea and so Naturally. we yeah. we as a group of, of of advocates kind of sprang forth from crisis and um and we we made a decision early on to keep things positive positive. Uh, and mm-hmm. to not yeah. let it try to our best to not let it devolve into mudslinging. And that's, that's yeah. not, that's not easy to do. Yeah. We kept things respectful, uh, with then housing and community development director, Robert Lipscomb. Uh, I dealt, I, I worked with Robert most closely and, uh, to, to, to his, his ever, everlasting credit. Um, uh, we had a, we had a, a good, a good working relationship all along the road of us making the case that people, in fact, love the Coliseum and didn't want to see it demolished. Uh, and in fact, it would, uh, now there have been two studies, um, assessments of the building. One is the one we did, the Coliseum Coalition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other was was the city. The, the city did its own assessment. And now we have two studies that show that, um, that the building is in excellent shape. And the Allen and Hochul, um assessment Did one other thing? If you're a fan of the building, and it's it, it showed that it would cost between eight and ten million dollars to demolish it. So the way things sit for anybody approaching it is, who would take a beloved building um, that is uh, that two separate assessments have shown is in excellent shape. Kind of,
0: kind of like the building that we're sitting in right now.
1: Exactly. Yeah, we're we're uh,
0: taping this at uh, WYXR at uh, Crosstown, Concourse Crosstown Concourse in the Concourse neighborhood. So,
1: and, yeah, who, who would who would who demolish would a building it? like that? That uh, two separate assessments have shown is in excellent shape. Everybody loves, and it would cost between eight and ten million dollars to demolish. I, I don't. Memphis doesn't have that money. Mm. Uh, it w- it would require uh, money from Outside and and usually, in my experience, people who spend that kind of money are are usually in the in the business of 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 saving a building or or repurposing it, and that's exactly what happened here at Crosstown Concourse. Mm -hmm. Is uh, is that you found, Phil? You know, good-hearted, wealthier individuals that you know investors that had a vision for this building, uh, and thanks thanks to to the the people who brought the the building back from the brink. I mean, it is really, truly a wonder to behold. I, it's like, I sometimes pinch myself. I can't believe we're, we're in here, but I think, and a lot of people point to the Coliseum and they say, if crosstown concourse is possible, then you can't tell me that the, the mid South Coliseum, it doesn't deserve a second act. And so now where things stand is we're working closely with the city, uh, to, um, we, we're partnering with them on VIP tours um, to potential investors and other technical experts um, to uh, find that third-party investment, and that's where that's where the city of Memphis and yeah. those of us in the grassroots are most aligned. Is in that that we all know that that it's going to require third-party investment.
0: When I, you know, I'm I have the benefit of having known you for a lot of the time that you've been working on these projects mm-hmm. and these different chapters of your professional and you know life and and I'm also sitting here thinking about and, and trying to etch out well where is faith and where is God in that and mm-hmm. and I, I do have the benefit of knowing you and knowing that you have a you are a person with a lot of tenacity you are Thank you. you will stick with it and you have stuck
1: with it mm-hmm. uh, where does that come from
0: where does it <laughs> come from and also is it just me or do you see that as analogous with a, your a faith journey because i can see that thread uh-huh. where you know we we see that seed that god plants in us to really create something to use us to create something beautiful and to create something that is so much bigger than us. I don't think, you know, we're talking about Florence Nightingale. I don't think she, she wanted to just help the people in front of her, but she revolutionized the practice of nursing and healthcare.
1: Yeah. She championed the cause of that and look at what she did. Uh, and I think people who champion causes, causes come in all different sizes. Yeah. You know, uh, when when St. Jude opened in '62, the um, the the cure rate for P, uh, yeah. acute lymphoblastic leukemia was was like four percent. It's now ninety four percent. So you know, and but Danny, even though he was a, a famous, he started you know uh, just telling anybody who would listen. Yeah. Uh, same thing with Dr. Morris and Church Health. Uh, and, and and ours is our cause is not nearly as 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 grandiose as as St. Jude but uh, it's still important to real people yeah, it is so and to, but to get to your question about mapping over the faith journey yeah that, that that's a, that's exactly right I, I feel like um, we uh, as, as a I'm, I'm very much a person that believes that um, that we're the church at work in the world yeah. um, mm-hmm. the the the, the, the body. Big,
0: I like to call it the Big C Church. The yeah. The Big C Church.
1: And and I, and I think that um, we have a responsibility to uh, continue God's ongoing redemptive work of the world, and that's not always easy. Uh, it it does for me. Uh, it does stem from uh, a, a journey of faith that has been focused on not only finding my vocation but finding mm. my way that I can be. Uh, a useful uh, member of the body of Christ on Earth, yeah. continuing that redemptive work. Because you know, we as, as faithful people, um, if we, we we believe we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, hmm. um, and so uh, I, I do. And and, and to and to sync that up with 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 people who who believe differently is fine. There really is a there really is a common denominator of goodness. Yeah. Uh, Pope Pope Francis. Was uh, he was meeting with uh, a president of some Central American country? I'm going to forget the, which country it was or the, or the or the president's name. Uh, staunch atheist, and uh, and and what Pope Francis said was was uh, he he was this this leader was relieved that Pope Francis didn't. I mean, he's talking to the Pope, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of <laughs> you're going to lean in and like and and and. But what but what Pope Francis said is he set the guy at ease, and he just said. Let us meet on the on the on the common field of good works, mm. and you just, that's the that's the common denominator that unites uh, secular humanism and all varieties of faith. Because at, at, at the end of the day, I I, I believe in um, that mult like God has been has been broadcasting, uh, if you will. Yeah.
0: yeah. Th- I see uh, what you did the, there. <laughs> the message
1: of of all inclusive love since the beginning of time, and uh, lots of people inspired by by that have tried their best to faithfully get that down. Yeah. Uh, and those have become the world's religions and thought systems. And so back to Florence Nightingale, you know she saw she saw truth in the pagan religions. Uh, yeah. And th- there there is re- there is residual truth in all faith paths. Uh, and so I don't I think we we have uh, the, the world, especially with being able to evaluate things on, on the Internet now, uh, all religions sit next to each other side by side on the Internet. This is yeah, no longer exactly yeah. 1911 where where uh, G.K. Chesterton is writing uh, The Everlasting Man and and uh, and pulling together. You know, that was his treatise on comparing side by side all the world religions and and, dis, and 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 coming up to his own his, his own mind making up his own mind as to what he saw as as um kind of the one but yeah. but the everlasting the, the everlasting man was was written once he became once he joined the church but i think the reason i like orthodoxy so much it was then he, when he was still uh, doubting mm-hmm. uh, what mm-hmm. what path and so he lays them all out well we as moderns we have uh we have all that at our fingertips, and so modern people see the common threads, yeah. uh, and we see our common humanity uh yeah. as and then and then and then it's then it becomes how do you apply it? Yeah, how do you apply it?
0: What can we do? Well, you know it who shall I send? What can I do? Yeah I, it, it, we've all got something in us that we can contribute to making this life, these lives that we've been given a little bit better for every person that we encounter. Yeah. And I mean, for me, you know, that, that takes the shape of a lot of different things, uh-huh. but I, I'm really lucky now that I get to talk to people who are doing different things to bring that light into the world and regardless of what, you know, under what flag they're doing it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really grateful to be able to see how each of us have something to contribute and the work that we do is good.
1: There's a common denominator and you know, our time at church health, yeah. you know, the strength of church health w- was, uh, all people of all different uh, backgrounds coming together and and working towards that 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 working within that common denominator for the common good, uh, and and that's I guess has been the consistent thread uh, of my entire life, and 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 tr- trying to live that out as as best I can uh, with with the gifts God's given me.
0: Marvin, one of the things that I something that you do that I have um, picked up on. Over the years, is that you describe yourself as a glass overflowing optimist. Yeah. <laughs> Did I get it right? Is yeah, it
1: glass a, overflowing optimist. What
0: would you say to people who may not see themselves? as an optimist i mean i think that after the mm-hmm. it, well, you know i i, I want to couch it and say oh you know after the 18 months I've, we've had it we're not out <laughs> of, the, we're not no, out of no. the red at all i think we're still in pandemic times you know our um, children go to the same school and so we are both uh, kind of on edge about what you yeah. know we're recording this during the first week back at school um, and the delta variant is on the rise it's And it's kind of scary. It is tough. You know, I see myself as an optimist, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realize that that's kind of a personality trait. Sure. How do you think we how can we be there for folks? And sometimes that's myself where it gets real cynical and there's not a lot to couch ourselves in. I mean, I know that, you know, in the work that we do during nonprofits and in our work in our lives, there are going to be chapters where we are in a slump and things are not getting done. The calls that we are wanting to make with those key stakeholders are not Mm -hmm. getting returned. We're not getting the grant that we need. Um, The big meeting um, is comes um, at, on the same day as a family emergency, and we have to cancel it. And be, because the big stakeholder can't reschedule, yeah. What do you say to people when they're in those slumps? Because it's not an issue of if; it's an issue of when.
1: Yeah, um, that yeah. We're, the The world is is in uh, turmoil, uh, so it it is hard. It's hard to be uh, hopeful. Uh, and and let me say this you know like that's my brand is yeah. is like glass overflowing uh, optimist uh PR guy Ombudsman of Memphis but um that's how people know me but like it's not reality to to think that I don't have uh down moments uh it, it's uh that would be inhuman and that's and I think that also plays into you know social social media posting it's like i'm a i'm a highlight reel poster and that's and and that's that's toxic positivity that's that yeah that that is that is really tough people should know yeah like i no one can stay positive all the time uh and so and this is an especially tough time uh to remain positive uh you know we're, we're going through the transition with uh with with the coronavirus that uh I lived through uh, working with the infectious diseases clinicians and researchers at St. Jude and learned way more than I ever thought I would know about mm. uh, viruses. Mm. Uh, incredible. Back to science. Uh, science is really incredible. Uh, and, and I know that better now after four years at St. Jude than I ever did before. But yeah. um, it, it, is, uh, an, it, it is a tough time to, to be an optimist. Um, But it's it's not impossible. Um, And and that's and I think we all have a a general kind of like setting. And so I I tend toward optimism uh, and I tend to see the glass uh, overflowing with possibilities. Um, But I think the world needs both types. We need uh, we need both people who are optimists uh, and people who are pessimists. One of the things that I get to in Champions of the Lost Causes. Yeah, uh, my, let's, my book.
0: We got to talk about the book. Yeah, the podcast for sure.
1: Is that there are really two types of leader that emerge uh, in civic movements like uh, cause movements. Um, mm. And, and some people typically like fall somewhere on the spectrum, as I've observed. Uh, and one I'll call the diplomat and mm. the the other the skeptic. Well, I know no, it won't surprise you to they're like embedded within the Coliseum Coalition. I am our group's diplomat, uh, and uh, um, my my friend uh, Roy Barnes is uh, is my great skeptical counterweight. Uh, and the the uh, the the diplomat trusts too much, but the skeptic doesn't trust enough. Mm. Uh, but they strike the balance, and they trust but verify, and it provides trust
0: and verify. Yeah, it
1: tr- it it provides. Uh, it, Causes people working on causes with a stereoscopic uh, depth perception. Uh, if we're get told information by the city, I accept it um, uh, right away because I, I tend to believe people. Roy, as the skeptic, will go investigate something in a, in a in a in a in a public record or get a second take from a, a city council person, and and so. The version of what we're told on the other side is much more useful once it's grounded in, uh, in, in in, it's been corroborated. Yeah. yeah. And and so, what what happens uh, in those? And you can you can read um, people the same way. I I see people's aspirational uh, motivations more clearly, uh, and 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 a and a skeptic sees someone's selfish motivations more clearly, and together they see things. Uh, more clearly together than they see them apart mm-hmm. and I think it really takes both types it, it it takes those people in the early stages who say we can do this mm-hmm. uh, and, and it, it takes people to to go behind and batten down the hatches and nail down the particulars um, and, and and really make sure that it all works and if you look at any nonprofit um, I think you'll see that division of labor from like you know, prophetic uh not not comparing myself to 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 jesus or anything but like
0: well there's the person who who really sees the fullness of what the project could be who sees yeah who and is able to articulate that in a way that inspires others
1: yeah it keeps it keeps the winds of the sails of the group full and it paints a more beautiful narrative uh you could argue that um that that god is the greatest champion of all yeah in that god continues to champion the cause of humanity yeah uh and 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 that is that is incredible to kind of see how all other temporal causes that we champion fold into um a bigger one because in the end analysis we uh the, the causes we, we choose to champion in our, in our personal lives and, and in our civic life uh, are all a choice to champion the cause of our precious lives, yeah. and make it, yeah. and, and hopefully make it a gift um, uh, back to God in, in, the, in the same way that, that Florence I mean look, look at the, look at the difference that, that Florence Nightingale uh, made in the world, and it's like that was a part of the world's redemption that, that, that doesn't happen yeah without her.
0: And look at the way we can all positively affect others. Um, I mean, it's easy to lift her up, but we're all doing important, transformative work. Mm -hmm. You know, I I I am so intrigued by the butterfly theory that you know if you if a butterfly flaps its wings, it could you know initiate a hurricane halfway around the world. And I mean, that's kind of destructive and I I don't know the stability of the theology around it, but I think about the power we all personally wield to be, to lift others up. I mean, as parents, we've got these little humans that we are (laughs) raising up and hopefully we don't screw them up too bad. We're going to screw them up, but... Hopefully, it's not in a way that it will be that destructive. Uh, we can, with the choices that we make every single day, we can choose to support businesses that we know are giving back. Mm-hmm. We can um, give someone a call who, or shoot them an email who might be in a dark spot. Yeah, we can uh, choose to care for ourselves. And and take a moment for self-care because, you know, God wants us to take care of his creation and we are his creation. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes just taking a pause to rest ourselves and not necessarily indulge ourselves, but care for ourselves. And it just even if that ripple effect is not, you know, worth highlighting in a bar graph or in a infographic, we still can have a choice. We have choices that we make every single day, and those choices cumulatively can help us create a world that's worth li- uh, that's worth living in for mm-hmm. every single creature here. Yeah, uh, it, it's that's well put. I, I I'm amazed with just. You know, we live in a community that is very, very giving. Uh, I mean, we like to pat ourselves on the back and say that, you know, Memphis is one of the most giving places Mm -hmm. in the uh, nation. But we also live in a place that's very unjust and we see that every day. I think that, uh, you know, white cisgendered women like me, um, I had my eyes opened up in a way that they had not been opened up before uh, 2020. And now I yeah. see how the things that I view as um, an injustice are, every, are others, mm. um, you know, our black and brown brothers and sisters and siblings. Yeah. Um, that's what they're living every single day. And so, um, so what true. I, what I can do is contribute to a community that, helps that's where i am a
1: helper and 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 we have our we have our challenges to face just like florence nightingale faced in her time uh different challenges um and 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 as a as a as a as a a gen x you know uh married white male uh i have i have had to learn about my privilege Mm -hmm. uh and microaggressions and and um I, I we all have a lot to learn, and we all have a lot to uh, a lot a lot of work to do. Yeah. Um, uh, the uh, I, I went through uh, uh, the National Civil Rights Museum's uh, first cohort of unpacking racism for action, mm. uh, and it was a is an intentionally diverse cohort of people who looked at these issues and faced them. First, we broke bread and had dinner together, uh, and then we steadily marched through uh, uh, uh all, all these issues it was, it was a facilitated thing and I'd, I'd encourage anybody uh to to look into it yeah. um through the national Civil rights museum but it's uh and 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 before that I went through wendy thomas's uh common ground mm. now in the end that those are only um those are classroom setting things that where um I have to i, I feel duty bound to educate myself uh, uh, and especially <laughs> In the in the in the city of Memphis and, yeah. and the the unique history we have, uh, I have a, I have a duty and an obligation uh, as a white person to do uh, my part, and I and I will I will uh, I'm not I'm not perfect. Uh, it's it's easier for me to be optimistic. I, I have had lots of things handed to me, uh, and um, you know, and I think any any examination of of, of conscience and an examination of your life. Uh, I, I, I certainly see that, you know, the, the generational accrual of wealth. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't walk around thinking about myself having benefited from that, but it doesn't take long to look and and see that.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I hate this. We're actually um, almost out of time. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. It it, it goes way too fast.
1: I know, and we covered too much ground, uh, Uh, I feel like.
0: I mean, bonus episode, maybe. (laughs) You should definitely, you know, that's a good seg. You know, I already said I love a good seg. Um, Yeah. Definitely. uh, Thank you all for tuning in to Faithfully Memphis today. If you liked what you heard, um, please share the show. Um, We are... Um, broadcasting live today from WYXR, so check us out there, but also find uh, the Faithfully Memphis podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you um, listen to podcasts on Apple, um, your uh, Episcopal Minister of Communication uh, begs of you to please like us um, and leave us a positive review because then uh, we can get to share. Uh, then more people will learn about us. Marvin, you have a podcast too. I have a
1: really quick plug. Yeah, plug, uh, plug away. Cha- Champions of the lost causes.org, uh is a website that has access to where my podcast currently lives. I uh, am uh, there's a there's an event at the Memphis Listening Lab here in Crosstown Concourse, uh, August 20th and 21st, a weekend of events uh, that. Um, that I'm going to be a part of um, uh, in, in, in sharing more of, the, of where my podcast is going to live going forward. It's 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 been under construction, as they yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, championsofthelostcauses.org dot uh, org is uh, the website, and so I would encourage people to check it out uh, yeah. and uh, and and watch for things. I would Encourage people to Co- check it out. It's coming soon stuff. at the Coliseum. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for having me on, Emily.
0: Oh, man. Thanks, Marvin. This was great. Um, And uh, from all of us here um, at the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee, stay safe and stay positive.